0: You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning. That was good. Welcome to Kingsway. We're really glad you're here. If you're visiting at home online, welcome. We're really glad you're here. We kicked off a new series last week. So those of you who were on vacation, we're really jealous but thankful that you got a chance to rest, and we hope you're tuning in online. We kicked off a series called Leverage. And leverage, uh, really just the concept of leverage, is to have maximum advantage against something. Just to give you an idea of kind of what we're talking about here, there was a guy named Archimedes, and he was this ancient philosopher and mathematician, and he's famous for having said this, give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it, and I shall move the world. And then somebody came up with this helpful little drawing to help you picture what it might look like. Well... The idea is, if you—by the way, I don't know if anybody here likes Mark Rober. My little boys love Mark Rober. Go on, NASA, uh, go on YouTube. He's a former NASA uh, engineer, and he explains the concept of a, vul- a fulcrum. And so, you know, when you think of a teeter-totter. If you just have this much space, two things can can balance there. But if you want to move something heavier on the teeter-totter, you have to lean back. You have to gain distance. So if you gain distance, you can move something bigger and heavier with, basically leverage. Are you with me? Now, somebody actually did the math and showed you'd have to be some number of quadrillions of miles away and then a whole other, you know, like galaxy and that kind of thing. So probably not actually going to move the earth, not literally going to happen, but you get conceptually, if you want to move something big, you just need the appropriate amount of leverage over it in order to move it. That's the concept. And that's kind of the concept with this. Earlier in our worship set, we sang a song, and it was talking about miracles, and we love to talk about miracles. I mean, don't we want want to see miracles? Like, if you have a family member who's in the hospital right now with COVID, don't you want God to do a miracle? Yeah, right? If you have a a loved one who's in a car accident, don't you want God to stir heaven and earth and do something? Yeah. But the greatest miracles that Jesus ever did weren't just to give the sight back to the blind and hearing back to the deaf. The greatest miracles Jesus ever did, he's still doing today, and that is in moving the human heart. The Bible says that the human heart is deceitful above all else. And the reality is, it is so easy to be deceived and to deceive our own hearts. And Jesus is in the heart business, praise God. He's in the human life business. He's in the soul business. And we are so, so thankful for that. So what I want to do is just spend a couple minutes... Bringing you up to speed, because what we're going to do is be in the second half of Luke chapter 12. And in case you didn't tune in, in case you weren't here last week, you might not know that the second half of Luke 12 is actually built on the first half of Luke 12. And in the first half of Luke 12, we see this very concept from Jesus about leveraging our hearts, anchoring our hearts, and using a fulcrum to do that. So he says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And the whole idea here is this word greed is actually the word covet. If you may be familiar with the Ten Commandments, Old Testament, remember if you learned them in King James like I did when I was a kid, thou shalt not covet. And you were a kid you're like, oh man, I don't know if I've ever done that. That's bad. What is coveting? Well, in essence, coveting is greed. And greed is a big biblical concept for this idea that I'm not content with what I have, I need more. And I can be greedy for a lot of different things, but I need more. What I have is not enough. I must have more. So Jesus goes on and tells a story about a man who's very blessed in his businesses and he makes a lot of money. And he decides, ooh, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my my storehouses, my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And then he says, that's bad. Don't do that. And in essence, he says, you fool, now what's going to happen is you're going to die this very night, and who's going to get what you have? And the whole idea here is, if we aren't careful, our desiring for more will train wreck our lives. And then he concludes in Luke 12, 21, and this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And we came to the conclusion last week, what does it mean to be rich toward God? Like, what does that mean? We came to the conclusion, be rich toward God means to put God first, first in our lives. We actually see this idea of first throughout the Bible. In fact, Adam and Eve, the first human beings, their kids, and they have many kids, but two of their kids, a guy named Cain and a guy named Abel, they actually are dealing with this whole idea of first. And they make the first offerings we see in the Bible. And they're bringing to God out of what they just did, and they just had some wins, some success, and they bring to God, and they make an offering. And God judges them. And he looks at Abel, and he's like, good job. That is a worthy offering, a worthy sacrifice, because Abel brought the first, and he brought the best to the Lord. But Cain, there's something in Cain's sacrifice, his offering. We don't know what it is but he didn't bring the first and he didn't bring the best to God. And so therefore God rebukes him. Now Cain gets mad because he knows he didn't bring his best to God. And so he gets, goes out and he kills his brother Abel. And you thought your kids had issues. So Cain kills Abel because he's jealous because God honors Abel for his offering and sacrifice, but dishonors Cain. Are you with me? We see that pattern throughout scripture then. God tells Moses to command the people through the law to give first. They are to give a percentage and they just keep going first, first, first. And every time Israel doesn't put God first, he rebukes them and rebukes them and rebukes them. We'll build on this a little bit later in next week's message. But the reason I will put this out here is I want you to begin to wrap your head around. In order to be rich toward God, we have to put God first. That means we don't... Spend all of our money on whatever, heating, electric, houses, cars, clothes, golf clubs, purses, whatever they are, and then get to the end and go, what do I have left over? Okay, God, you can have this percentage of what I have left. We go the other way around. We say, God, I'm going to give to you first, and then I'm going to let you manage the rest. Which really brings up this question, right? right? Let's just say you heard all that. Maybe you don't even believe it. You may not believe in God yet. You're not even a Christian. You're not even sure about me or Kingsway. And you're like, I knew it. All churches want to talk about is money. I'm out the door. I'm never coming back again. Just give me to the end of this message. But let me just throw this out there. If you're hearing this, and if you've ever been stirred by God, and you were to ask yourself this question, what would happen? If I were to live a generous life, will I have enough? At the end of the day, isn't that the big anxiety in all of our hearts? If I were to live a truly generous life, will I have enough? Here's the good news. Jesus knew that's exactly what you would be thinking. Jesus knew that's exactly what would be going through your mind. So right at the end of verse 21, when he says, be rich toward God, in verse 22, he gets right to it, and he says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or about your body What you will wear for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. What Jesus is going to do now is he's going to lay a framework, a foundation for us to stand on for God to be able to try to get our attention for him to be able to try to communicate some things to us. But he's going right to the heart of the issue, and he's saying, I know what you're thinking. You're hearing this story. It's creating anxiety. You're thinking to yourself, I can't afford to be rich toward God. So I'm gonna go ahead and deal with that fear right off the bat. Let's just go ahead. Don't worry. Okay, have you ever felt anxious before? And somebody came up to you and said, well, don't worry about it. And then you did what? Punch them in the nose, right, exactly. Please don't punch Jesus in the nose. This won't, this won't go well for you. When you're feeling anxious and someone looks at you and says, well, stop worrying about it, and you think to yourself, I don't know how to stop worrying about it. If I could have stopped worrying about it, I would have stopped worrying about it. Now, Jesus isn't just going to leave us hanging there. But the first thing he has to say is, don't think about the world this way. But then what he is going to say is, think about the world this way. In fact, look at the next verse. Consider the Ravens. Not the football team. We want them to lose all their games. (laughs) Especially as a Browns fan. But consider the real Ravens. Now, my guess is you've never sat around and considered Ravens in all of your life. Have you? Most of the time you see a Raven, you think to yourself, those things are really annoying. They should probably go away. But have you noticed that they do not sow or reap? In other words, they don't work. They're not out planting seeds and cultivating crops. They have no storeroom or a barn. They're not taking worms back and creating piles of worms. Have you noticed this? Yet, God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Okay, let's just camp out here for a second because this is good. All right, on three, everybody's gonna add an hour to somebody else's life, because we're gonna be generous. We're not gonna add it to our own. Ready, on three, one, two, three. Anybody? Nobody? I mean, obviously, if you could have added an hour to anybody's life, you would have done that already, so your kids had more time to sleep, which would have given you more time to sleep, or more time to do their homework, so you would have had more time to watch TV, or rest, or relax, or make dinner while they are doing that. It's not gonna happen, right? Right? This is why Jesus goes on and says, since you cannot do this very little thing, wait a minute, put the brakes on. Berp, what? Adding an hour to your life is a little thing? I mean, I, you know what I would do to add an hour to my life every day, week, month, year? I mean, do you know what I could do with one more hour? There's so many things I could, you think that's a little thing? Well, here's the problem. It is a little thing if you're God. There's a story in the Old Testament where Israel is in battle and they need more time to win the battle. And we're told that God made the sun stand still in the sky. This is one of those texts that um, scientists and atheists look at and say, see, this is why we can't believe in God. Because if the sun stood still in the sky, here's what literally would happen on earth. These things would go wrong. These things would get ruined. The earth would be destroyed. It's impossible. If the earth were to stop spinning, blah, 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 blah. And, and all I can say is, All I know is that we do believe in a God who can do anything. We believe in a God who made it all and makes it all go. And to him, adding an hour is not a problem. I think this is exactly what Jesus is trying to get to. He's trying to say to God, this is no small thing. He can make the sun stand still for an hour in the sky. He can add an hour to your life. Can you you do that? So then why do you worry about the rest? Implication, you and I don't have a money problem. You and I have a heart problem. Because our heart problem says if we trusted God more, God could do more. Are you with me? You don't even have the power to add an hour to your life, but you're going to spend all of your hours that God has given you worrying about if you had more, you could do more? Or you got a choice. You could trust him to do exactly what he intends to do with everything that he's given you. All right, just stop for a second and ponder this. Think about it. Meditate on it for a moment. Will this be easy? No, of course not. God never seems to give us easy tests. Have you noticed that? Nothing ever God does seems to be simple. I mean, just think about the Bible heroes for a moment. Let's just think about some of those. Okay, so David. David is a young boy. God comes to him and says, okay, I'm gonna make you a king, but you're roughly 15 years old. You're not ready yet, David. Hey, I know what I'll do. I'll have you go fight a giant. Was that easy? Well, no, but did David win? Yes, why? Through faith. Through faith. Okay, well, David, I'm going to make you king, but before I can make you king, you've got to be ready. You're not ready yet, and so I'm going to have the current king. I'm going to make him crazy, and he's going to chase you down. He's going to hunt you in caves. He's going to try to kill you. He's going to throw spears at you. He's literally going to get the army of your family and your friends to try to find you and kill you, and um, is that going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy, but did David become king? Yes. David, you're gonna take over Israel. You're gonna take over the nation and you're gonna lead them back to God. The former king is gonna be crazy and he's gonna do all kinds of ungodly crazy stuff. And um, that's okay. Just you're not gonna do any of those things. You're gonna move an entire nation back to God. Is it gonna be easy? No. Is it gonna work out? Yes. Yes. Moses, uh, I know that you are a murderer living in a foreign land. I know that you ran away from Egypt because you you were afraid for your life. But I want to send you right back there to the most powerful man, the most powerful nation on the face of the planet. I'm going to have you free my people. Don't worry. Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. I'm going to harden his heart. He's not going to want to listen to you. And yet you're going to take all those people. How in the world are you going to make that happen? Is that going to be easy? No. Oh, we're gonna get out in the middle of a desert, and the people are still not gonna listen to you. They're gonna trust you, but you're gonna stay there, you're gonna keep leading them, and eventually we're gonna get them into the promised land. Is it gonna be easy? No. Joshua, I'm gonna take Moses out of the way, and you're gonna lead these people now. Even though Moses has been their leader, I'm gonna make you the leader. You're gonna take him into the promised land. There's gonna be giants in the land, but you're gonna drive all the giants out, and you're gonna take the land. I'm gonna do it all for you, and you're not gonna pull out a weapon. Your only weapon is gonna be a trumpet. A what? A trumpet. Yeah, but we're gonna do this. Is it gonna be easy? Of course not. See, God rarely calls us to do easy things because if you didn't need God to get it done, then you could just do it all on your own. Part of what God wants to do in me and part of what God wants to do in you is he wants to wrestle our heart to the ground and subdue it and submit it to him fully, 100% In every way, I guess it'd be a good time to ask the question, is your heart fully submitted and surrendered to God? This question, if I were to live a generous life, will I have enough? I struggle with that one. I would say um, my wife is far better at this than I am. We got married, my wife said to me, we will tithe, and it was kind of like, if, if you're going to stay married to me, I didn't, just kidding, it wasn't that strong, but she's like, we will tithe, and uh, I'm doing the bills, so I will be the one tithing. And I'm like, I don't know how we're going to make that happen. I don't know how that's possible. How's that financially going to work out? She's like, this is what we're going to do, and God will provide. And I'm so glad I trusted her. And many of our early battles in marriage were over this very issue because she loves to give. I am convinced if my wife could give away 100% of her money, she would give away 100% of her money. And I had things I wanted to buy. I had things I wanted to accumulate. My wife just loves, she's just, I love her heart. She's so generous. She just loves to do that. And she trusts God so deeply. She has taught me so much about this. But the reason most of the time that I struggle with giving more is because what goes through my head is, I just don't know if it's going to work out. Like, if I really do this bold thing with God, am I really going to have everything I need and get to experience everything I get to experience? And then reality check comes in, right? The credit card bill comes in, the house payment comes in, the car payment comes in, the car insurance payment comes in, the tax bill comes in, all these things come in, and it feels like you're pushing a rope. And that starts to eat at your faith and trust. There's another ancient Greek story about a guy named Sisyphus. I don't know if you've heard of Sisyphus. This is an artist rendering of Sisyphus. Um, Sisyphus was cursed, condemned, to push a rock up a hill. And every time he'd get the rock to the top of the hill, it would roll back down on him and he would have to start over. And again, this isn't a real story. It's a Greek myth. And it was said he had to do this over and over and over again. And I think many of you feel this way about your finances in life, that you're just gonna keep having to push this rock to the top of the hill and every time you get to the top of the hill, the rock's just gonna roll right back down. You're gonna get to the bottom of the hill and it's just gonna crush you and you're gonna start all over again. But what if there was another way? I bet <laughs> I bet Sisyphus wishes he could talk to Archimedes and say, I bet we could lever this puppy buck over the hill. But regardless, what if there was another way to go through life and not always have to view our finances and our financial situation as this rock that just keeps rolling downhill that we have to keep fighting against to push up the hill? What if there was a way to actually win? So then, Jesus goes on, Luke chapter 12. I want you to consider again, think again, how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon and all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, (laughs) how much more is he going to clothe you? You of what? Little faith. This is not a mocking phrase. This is not uh, Jesus making fun of you like, hey, I trust God, wimp. This is not Jesus doing that. Jesus, Jesus going, this is the same guy who said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, crumble into the sea and it will do it. Nobody in ancient history believed Jesus meant that literally. That we were supposed to go to the Rocky Mountains. I used to live near Longs Peak. It's one of the great 14ers in Colorado. And go to Longs Peak and say, crumble to the mountain. And then if it didn't do it, it's like, oh man, I just must not have enough faith. That's not what Jesus meant. He's pointing literally to the idea of this connection between heaven and earth and that when you trust in God there is no mountain that will stand in your way that you will not be able to overcome with God. In other words, he is your fulcrum, he is your lever, he is your leverage to overcome every issue of the human heart that you will experience. Every problem you're going to face, everything you're going to go through, if you trust him, he will lead you through it. And as it relates to this, he's trying to say you old faith, if you could just get a little bit more. You ever see the mustard seed? They're so small, I can't even bring it up here. It is so tiny. It's tiny. It can roll around in the tips of your fingers. Imagine splitting that puppy in half and in half and in half and in half and in half. Whatever the percentage of that you've got, Jesus is saying, if I could just get you a little bit more of this, imagine what we could move together. But it's going to take dethroning some things on your heart so that I can have my rightful place in there. So that's why my encouragement for you is this. Trade fear for faith and take a bold step toward God. Trade your fear for faith and just take a bold step. I'll get back to that in just a moment. Well, how do I do that? Before I get to the bold step, we'll get to that second. What would it look like if I were to trade fear for faith? Luke 12, Jesus says this. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. So first, if I want to trade fear for faith, I've got to stop setting my mind on the things of the world and start setting my mind on the things of God. What? would please my Lord, and then I gotta stop worrying about it, because remember, I don't even have the ability to add an hour to my day, it's a little thing to God, it's a big thing to me, but apparently, I need to do a little bit more trusting in his presence to provide, and apparently, when it says the pagan world, I think that's a a weird phrase, it literally means the pagan world, that's what the Greek means, but the pagans literally were a group of people who lived outside the city. So if you think of ancient Jerusalem as a city and it's a walled city, the pagans were the people on the outside who worshiped other gods. They chased after something that wasn't real and their entire life was built around trying to please the gods. And God is saying, I'm the only real god. And I'm not like those pantheons of gods, all those gods of different things the god of war and the god of wealth and the god of health and the god of uh, fertility and the god I'm not like all those gods and goddesses of ancient Rome. I actually love you. I actually care about you. I actually want to meet all your needs. So don't think like they think. Don't act like they do. They run. They spend themselves. They give their effort and energy chasing all these things, and it's never enough. But if you come to me, I will meet all your needs. Remember earlier when Jesus told the the, the disciples here and the people listening to him, he said that God will meet all your needs. God sees what you need and knows what you need. That idea comes right out of the Old Testament. One of those heroes of the faith, a guy named Abraham, God goes to Abraham, and when he's a, a younger man, it says, Abraham, I want you to trust me and follow me. I'm gonna take you to a land. I'm not even gonna tell you where it is or what I'm gonna do yet. I just want you to leave your family and follow me. And Abraham kind of does it. He leaves his family, but he takes his nephew Lot with him. And then God shows him this land and says, I'm gonna give you and your future descendants all this land. And Abraham's like, I'm a little bit old in age, God. I think at that point, I can't remember. I think he's in his 60s, maybe. He's like, I don't have any kids. So how exactly are you gonna give all my descendants this land. God's like, don't worry about it. I got a plan. We'll get there. It's just not time yet. And so all of Genesis story telling us Abraham's life is basically a journey of Abraham learning to trust God over and over and over again. And it's a series of God being faithful when Abraham is faithless. Finally, Abraham has a son. And I can't remember, I think he's 90 years old, maybe 95, I can't remember, and his wife is like 90. I mean, it's like, they're up there a little bit in age, okay? It's like one, two, skip a few, we're old now. And they have a son, and it's a total miracle. And Abraham has tried his hardest to mess this plan up. And God keeps going, Abraham, even when you mess it up, I'm faithful. I'm still good. I still have a plan, and I'm using you to do it. Now, here's the crazy part. So God finally tells Abraham, when when his son Isaac is like, you know, 12 years old, he's like, I want you to take your son Isaac, I want you to take him up on this mountain, and you're going to offer him as a sacrifice. Ready, break. And Abraham goes, okay. And he grabs Isaac, and he grabs a couple servants, he grabs some wood, and they go towards the mountain. And at the base of the mountain, he looks at the two servants, and he says, stay here, The son, my son and I, my only son, we're gonna go up on the mountain. We're gonna offer a sacrifice, an offering to the Lord, and we're gonna come back down. And the servants stay there. And they start going up the mountain. And Isaac's like, Dad, um, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham goes, Lord will provide. And they get up there, and they start building the altar. And Isaac's like, hey, Dad, what am I missing here? don't worry about it, son, God's gonna provide. And then it says, Abraham bound Isaac. I've always wondered, like, that's all it says. Like, I could still take my three boys at the same time, but it's a little bit harder now when I'm 45 and they're now 12 and 10 and seven. And I'm thinking, did did they have to throw down or was Abraham like, hey, just climb up here. I I just wanna get the measurements on this altar and see if it's big enough. I don't know. But then he pulls out his knife And he's about to sacrifice his only son, the thing he has held on to all this time. And just before he can do the deed, God speaks and says, stop. Now, now I know. Now I know that you love me. Now I know. Here we are, Abraham. You're a much older man. Around 100 years old. And the thing you love most in the world, the thing that I have promised I would give you, now I know you love me. And then a ram comes out of the thicket. And Abraham and Isaac take the ram and they offer it as a sacrifice to the Lord. And Abraham goes, you are Jehovah Jireh, which means you are the God who sees Give anybody else some goosebumps? The whole idea here, in case you miss it, is Abraham gave God a name. And that name that Abraham gave God was based off what Abraham was becoming to realize about God was true. You're not just some distant God who lets me live my life and isn't paying attention. You have been watching me this whole time. You know every moment of my life. You know when I've stayed up late and wept. You know when I've hurt. You know when I've been anxious. You know when I was afraid. You know when I gave my wife to the foreign king so that he could have his way with her. You know, God, when I lied and deceived and I stole. You know when I've done all these things and you've never left me and you've never forsaken me and you've never quit on me. And here, now, finally in my old age, I understand, you see, you know, you care, and you'll provide. And then Jesus says, God sees what you need. He knows what you need. You don't need to be in control. He sees, he knows, and he will take care of it for you. If you're going to become a generous person... Here's the biggest shift you're gonna to have to make, ready? You're gonna to have to shift your thinking from a scarcity mentality to a resourced mentality. Here's what I mean by that. A scarcity mentality says, I'm not, I don't know, uh, I'm not Bill Gates. And I'm not gonna be able to give away billions of dollars. So I just don't have much. And since I don't have much, I can't give much. I can't do much. And changing that, trading that for a resource mentality that says this, I have everything God intended for me to have and I am his man, I am his woman and I could do whatever he has asked me to do. That's it, that's my only responsibility in life. My only responsibility is to do exactly what he's called me to do with everything that he's given me, that's it. So if I could change my stinking thinking from I don't have enough to do anything about it to I have everything God purposed me to have, now what would God desire for me to do? There's a man from our church who um, not too long ago he, hurt, he, he walked outside one of the doors at his, his, where he works and he saw a guy sitting there and he was having a bad day. So he stopped his life for a moment and just sat with his coworker. Listen to his story. They're repossessing his car. And according to the story, the way the story unfolds, there's really nothing that could change the situation. Even if a car payment were to come along because this gentleman has been late or missed so many payments, they're taking the car anyway. How are you gonna get to work without a car? How are you gonna make money without a car? How are you gonna pay your bills without a car? How are you gonna eat without a car? And so now, this gentleman has a conundrum. And uh, my friend, our, our, our member here, he sat with him, prayed with him, cried with him, listened to his story, cared about him. Over time, his co-worker started coming to Kingsway. Over a little bit more time, he surrendered his life to the Lord and was baptized here. But that's not even the end of the story. Somebody at the workplace went and bought him a car and gave him the car. Now, here's the thing. When you begin to see yourself not as lacking in resources, but as having all that you need to meet somebody else's need, the first thing you might say is, the thing that I have the most is time. Or maybe the thing I have the least but need to give the most is time. And so I sit with others and I pray with others and I open doors for them to meet Jesus because at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. That's what counts more than anything else. It's what matters more than anything else. And we'll get to that in just a second. But then maybe you or maybe somebody around you, maybe somebody you know has the ability to actually come alongside and say, oh, I can actually physically or financially meet that actual literal need. And I wonder to myself, what would happen if my friend had kept his mouth shut? And what might happen in your life if you kept your mouth shut? Jesus says, Luke chapter 12, verse 31, but seek his kingdom, this is God's kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. It's a great little trade God makes you. If you put God's kingdom first, he'll make sure all the other needs get met. If you don't put God's kingdom first, we already learned what happened. Remember last week's story? Tonight, this very night, your life will be taken from you, then who will get what you have? You're going to accumulate a lot of stuff, and it's just all going to be stay left behind." But then Jesus says, don't miss this, verse 32, "Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom." Now, I don't know how to make that one more better than it is. Your father has been pleased. I'm a huge Chick-fil-A fan. Any, any other Chick-fil-A fans in here? Amen. Woo! <laughs> Except for that they're closed today. Anybody else mad about that? Woo! It's like every Sunday, it's like, what do you want for lunch? Oh, I want... <laughs> <Bazollies>. <laughs> uh, back, Getting back on track. You ever notice when you go to leave Chick-fil-A and they look at you and, and you say, thank you so much, and they say... My pleasure. And there's something in your heart that gets warm and goes, aw. <laughs> They're happy to serve me. I know it's silly, but this is exactly what God is saying. It pleases him. It warms his heart to serve you, to care for you, to give you the kingdom. In fact, in I cut part of my passage today because of time, but if I were to leave that in, you can actually see it on my Facebook page. I posted it earlier. Jesus says, if you stay ready, stay ready with your life, stay ready serving the Lord, one day Jesus will come back. And when he finds you serving him when he returns, he will then put on the serving garments and sit you at his table and he will serve you. I promise, it's in Luke 12, keep reading. And the whole idea here is it pleases God to partner with you in his world. And he goes on. So therefore, in light of all of this, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. What is the point of this? First of all, I love that he says purses. I've heard that that some women just love purses. And Jesus is not picking on your purse obsession. What he is saying is, have you ever noticed that every purse at some point leaves your house? It either leaves your house, and goes to Goodwill, it leaves your house and goes to somebody else, or it leaves your house because it finally ripped, got a hole, wore out, whatever it is, you overuse that thing. Sooner or later, every purse leaves. And so the ladies don't fit picked on, so does every golf club, so does every new car, Someday your house will be torn down and something else put at its place. Whatever the thing is that you think you enjoy and love the most, your TV, your video game system, whatever it is, all of it stays here. There's only one thing that goes ahead of us. What is it? Dogs. All dogs go to heaven. Everybody knows that. Cats, no chance. And before I just keep making jokes, people, rich people, poor people, black people, white people, Asian people, smart people, educated people, uneducated people, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And he's saying, why don't you join me in this? We'll change the world together. You see it? Then he goes one step further and he says, this isn't just about them, this is about you. Because see, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you're investing your money in, that's what you're gonna love. I'll test it real quick. For some of the men in the room, there is an obsession in America today with gambling on football. How many men in here are going to spend money today because you have a lock that you're the winner In that game, or maybe it was yesterday's games. And you've not given one dime to God's kingdom. My guess is today, you will be watching diligently to see whether or not you covered the line in that game. But next Sunday, when one of your kids is contact quarantined from COVID, will you be online online? watching what's happening in your church? See, wherever your treasure is, your heart's gonna follow. And it'll follow our boats, and it'll follow our cars, and it'll follow our sports teams, and it'll follow our whatever it is. But will it follow you all the way to heaven? All right, just a question that I've been anxious about for myself. And here's the question. If you could give any amount of money without fear, what amount would you give? What would happen if you doubled that number? Does that make you really anxious? Years ago, uh, I was sitting in a Bible college class and my missions professor was teaching the class and he was an adjunct professor and I don't know how much money he made. My best guess says he made between thirty dollars and $40,000 a year and he told a story that wrecked me forever. He said, my family and I, every Christmas, we give one Christmas present apiece because we can't afford to give more. And I thought, man, they need to pay these guys more. And then he went on and he said, it's because we give 25% of our income away every year, 10% to our church and the others go to missionaries and other people in ministry that we wanna help and support. And I pulled out a piece of paper, and I started jotting down, like, I, I know the average house in Cincinnati costs this, and I know about gas is going to cost this, and I know, you know, whatever cell phones weren't as popular, but I know a phone bill costs about this. I just started doing some math, and I went, that didn't add up. I'm looking at him and going, his wife must have a great job, but she didn't. It didn't add up. I couldn't figure it out. And then that day, I walked away, and I said, God, I want to give away 25% of my income one day. And there's been years of our lives, my wife and I, we've gotten close. And then we had three kids, and kids are expensive, in case you didn't know that. And my kids, because they're becoming teenage boys, they eat everything the day we buy it. We can't keep enough food in the house. But then God keeps whispering to me, like, why is 25% the magic number? Why are you thinking so small, Matt? And I'm like, 25%, are you kidding me? Do you know what everybody else is doing? And God's like, when did this ever become about what everybody else is doing? So where I am today, and I believe I can speak for my wife and I, is it's all God's. He gets all of it. So if your number, when I asked, what would you give? If your number is 100%, come on, let's be honest. You still got to eat. You got to put a roof over your head. You got to drive a car to work. But what's going to happen is whatever that number that God puts in your heart, you got to start building a plan to get there because you can't just arrive there. You don't just show up there. Years ago, my wife and I, we just kept fighting about money um, because we weren't managing it as good as we needed to, and so I finally was like, I'm tired of this, and people kept telling me to buy a book, and so I went and got this book called The Total Money Makeover by a guy named Dave Ramsey, and it changed my life. All of a sudden, Dave gave me a plan. It's like, ooh, now I know what to do. Well, they later took all of that same curriculum and created something called Financial Peace University, FPU, and we're going to offer FPU here in a, roughly a week, 10 days here, um, on 921. And you can register at kingswaychurch.org. You can go into our app right now. You can call the church. You can email me if you want. I'll pass your email along. Just whatever you gotta do. If the reason you're not being generous is because right now you have a greed issue and you just keep spending, 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 you aren't managing it well, man, I just want to tell you, we don't come alongside you. After last week's service, two different gentlemen came up to somebody on staff and said, I will partner with somebody who wants to do FPU but can't afford it. I will help scholarship them to get them the curriculum. This changed my life, and I want anybody willing to do it. So money will not be your excuse. I promise you, it will change things if you'll take the time. But here's where I'm going to close. I don't want to get to heaven and not have you with me. I want to get there and have the biggest party ever, and I want to be looking around me like, and he's here, and she's here, and they're here because we did this together. But you don't get to heaven because you write a check to the church. You get to heaven because you gave your life to Jesus Christ. So I want to call you and do a relationship with Jesus. Because he wants to take out the biggest fulcrum ever, a cross. And move your heart to God. And if you would let him do that, all you have to do at the end of the service, just go to our Connect Hub and say, I need Jesus. Or at any time, any day, any moment, you could text CONNECT. C-O-N-N-E-C-T to 317-565-4911. I want to pray over you and we're just going to sing and give glory to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to trust you. Whatever fear or worry or stress or anxiety is in the way, God, if we have spent poorly up till now and it just leaves us with no path forward, God, help us to replace our fear with faith. God, help us to have a resourced mentality, not a scarcity mentality. And help us, God, to partner with you, and to be generous with you. God, I pray for men and women and children in this room right now who are hearing this. We're not talking about buying their way to heaven. You can't buy your way to heaven. Not enough money for that. Got to talk about trust and faith and life and walking with you. So, God, like little Abrahams in this room, God, over time, just continue to be faithful to us and good to us and stir our hearts and move us closer to you, God. Help us to trust you more than we do today. We love you. Come right now and receive this praise, oh God, because you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.